today, what I want to talk about as we enter into this season of Thanksgiving and we move towards Christmas, which is the celebration of the gift that we've been given of the Christ child that once, uh, as he grew into fruition, was here to save us from ourselves. And so I think that this psalm written by David is one of the, as I said, the most beautiful praise hymns in the entire Bible. And so I think that it's appropriate that at this time of harvest and reaping and hunting and thanksgiving that we be in a praise hymn today. And so I want to kind of go through this a little bit and talk about how this praise hymn kind of looks like what we've done today so far. Um, Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. I know that we have done that so far this morning. Amen. And also serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. We have done that here this morning as well. So far, we're doing pretty good. Uh, Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his people and we are the sheep of his pasture. These are things that we know, Lord, that at all times you are doing what is Uh, what is good for us for our eternal salvation it may not be what we want the sheep would like to get outside the fence and go astray but the shepherd will not let them the shepherd keeps them where they are safe Uh, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise give thanks to him bless his name through our singing prayers tithes and offerings this morning we have given thanks to god and we have equipped his church for ministry And this says this finally, for the Lord is good. This is a proclamation of things about our Heavenly Father. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Songs have been written about that line only. His steadfast love endures forever. The Lord is good. He is good all the time. And these are things that we know because the Bible says it is so. As we talked about, we're heading into a time of Thanksgiving, and so I think that we have to think about what things we should be thankful for. The Bible tells us that we are to give God thanks, uh, give God thanks for all things, for all things. For in the beginning there was nothing but God and the Word, and those two together worked to create everything that we see today, everything that we experience in life, everything that we have, all came from God. So we should be giving thanks for all things. All of the evil things in this world, the sin, um, all of the things that we have turned into a thing that it ought not be is because of us. It is not because of God. God did not create sin. He created us. And we, in turn, began sin. So what should we be thankful for from God? First, yes, the cursory answer is everything. Everything that we have, we should give thanks for. But if we want to dig down deep and we want to talk about what is the most important thing that we should give thanks for. Yes, I am so thankful that I have a car to drive here each day. That I have a, uh, a family that I love so dearly that are all in good health. Lord, I have a house to live in. And as you can tell, I have plenty of food to eat. Lord, I have friends that love me. I have family to spend time with that, that, that we love and that love us. And I have a church and a congregation that I would lay my life down for. But all of that means nothing without Jesus. And so I want to spend today talking about Jesus. 
I want to spend today talking about the thing that we should be most grateful for. Because see, we could have all of those things. We could have all that we wanted and be just as happy as a lark. And the Apostle Paul says all of the things that he has done, all of his righteousness, all of the good works that he has done are as the Greek is scubula. We would translate it to manure today. They are nothing. They are worthless without Christ. So I want to tell you a little bit about Jesus. I know that everybody, uh, lots of people here have been to Sunday school for many years. Lots of us went to a Bible school when we were kids, vacation Bible school. We have been, um, we have been taught things about Jesus for many years, but not everybody puts two and two together all the time. Um, up until a few years ago, I had never heard anybody say that the Old Testament was about Jesus. And when I heard that, I thought, let's see, there's killing and craziness and demons get, there's just, how could this be about Jesus? It doesn't make sense to me. God's going around telling people to kill people. It doesn't make sense to me. How is this about Jesus? And so as I spent time studying how that's possible, it, uh, God has, has given me some wonderful insights that, that Scripture gives us. And so I want to talk a little bit about Jesus today and who he is. Uh, when, at the time of Jesus' birth, forgive me if I take a drink of water today. I think you'd rather see me drink of water than hear me cough. So, uh, forgive me. At the time of Jesus' birth, the religious landscape looked uh, very bleak. From outside of Judaism, and Jesus was born a Jew, both by bloodline and by religion, um, things weren't much better. Most notably, Roman worship uh, of pagan gods at that time, uh, as the Romans were the occupier, had become a, uh, a very powerful force. It was beginning to be harder to be Jewish, uh, to be able to worship the one true God, uh, Yahweh. It had become hard to do so. But this is nothing new. Pagan nations had been surrounding, invading, and occupying Israel from the very beginning. The Old Testament tells us of a multitude of gods from uh, Baal to uh, Mammon to uh, Asherah that, we had, that, uh, that, that God had been fighting um, people turning towards, even though they were uh, proven to be false gods, that they were simply tickling man's ears. From inside of Judaism, as I said, the prospects did not look much better. There had been 400 years of silence at this time since Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet. In this time, the Jewish leaders and elite had, as a rule, hardened their hearts from what it meant to truly serve God. They had begun to worry only about themselves, and they had begun to care little about the people, the least of these they had gotten so legalistic that they had begun to use mysticism and numerology uh, in order to divide all of God's laws laid out in the Old Testament. They wanted to put them in ranked categories so they could figure out who was a worse sinner. I guess they forgot to rank the one that frowned upon them using mysticism and numerology. That's how backwards and inwards they had become. And into all of this is born Jesus. Jesus is a humble child with humble beginnings. We've all heard the Christmas story. Even if we aren't church people, we know that Jesus was born, that he was born of a virgin, and that he uh, would go into ministry, die, and rise again. We've all heard the Christmas story. 
We've all heard the Easter story. We've heard how Jesus was born of a young virgin girl and a carpenter. Neither of them of any fame, any renown, any power, or reputation. These were just two ordinary people. They were betrothed to each other. They were engaged, but they had not yet married. They were young and in love, but they were not prepared for what was about to happen. This was not what the Jewish religious scholars had in mind. You see, the Jewish religious scholars were expecting a king. They were expecting a great ruler who was, um, who was rich and who was powerful and who would be ready to restore Israel to its prominence. What they got was something else. What they got was much more. By the age of 11, it is likely that Jesus had the first five books of the Bible memorized, the Pentateuch, as it was called in the Hebrew. He took this knowledge and understanding into a temple at that time. He uh, snuck away from his parents so that he could go and sit with the scholars and preach a little bit. And uh, we would all like to have kids whose mischief stopped at that. Um, he took his knowledge into the temple and people were amazed at his teaching. He spent the next few years of his life growing uh, physically in stature and uh, also mentally studying the scriptures and learning his father's trade as a carpenter. Then at around 30, Jesus begins his ministry. He is baptized by his cousin and prophet, John the Baptist. This is a watershed moment. At this time, the uh, Bible tells us that as Jesus comes out of the water, the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and lights on his shoulder. God said, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is the moment where scripture begins to be kicked into overdrive, where Jesus' ministry is kicked into overdrive. He begins to travel around Judea, teaching people of love for God, of love for each other, and of repentance for sin. He performs miracles that inspire, they awe, and they heal. He continues to fill, fulfill Old Testament prophecies, written between 500 and 1500 years before he was ever born. Think about that. There are prophecies, specific prophecies, and we'll cover some of these in a little bit, that were written between 500 and 1500 years before Jesus was born that talk about him so plainly that it's hard not to believe them. He forgives sins during this time. He hangs out with sinners and he stands up to the religious zealots of the day. And that was more than the religious leaders could take. They began to think of ways to rid themselves of Jesus. They thought of murder. They thought of charging him with heresy. And instead they relied on their greatest weapon of the time, politics. He was brought up on charges, falsely testified against, and eventually condemned to death, even after two political rulers failed to convict him. But this was Jesus' destiny, and he was resigned to fulfill it. To die on the cross was the culmination of all things, of all prophecy, of all of Jesus' ministry, of our destiny as people who are called to follow Christ. And so die he did. He was tortured, ridiculed, and abused. Isaiah 53.5, Isaiah 53.5, which was written over 700 years, 700 years before Christ was born, says that 
the, he would be pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. Some of you may have heard it put as he was pierced for our, our iniquities and crushed for our, our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole. By his wounds we are healed. Let's read that again. He was pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole. By his wounds we are healed. That was written about Jesus 700 years before his birth. He died and scripture tells us that the curtain was torn in the temple where uh, the place where sacrifices had prior been made to atone for sin. That was no longer necessary. Jesus would be our fulfillment of that. He would be our propitiation. He would bring us right with the Lord through faith in Him. At this time, during Jesus' death, lots were cast for His clothes. And rich, a rich man, Joseph of Arimathea, had given his tomb to Him in which to be buried. Both of these events also fulfill very specific prophecies written long before Christ's birth. Then another miracle happened. He was gone from the tomb. Some suspected robbers. Some suspected his followers of stealing him away. And some had faith that he was alive as he said he would be. And alive he was. He was raised after three days. Jesus begins to appear to a multitude of people at this time. In a variety of places. Sometimes he was there just to comfort. Sometimes he was there to teach. But he was alive. Our God is alive. Buddhism cannot say this. Islam cannot say this. Hindus cannot say this. Our God is alive. We have a book. The Bible. It's divided into two testaments. The Old and the New. The Old tells us of man's sinfulness. And God's faithfulness. Time and time again, it tells of, uh, us about our inability to follow the law. It tells us that we desperately need a Savior. How many times throughout the Scriptures did Israel turn towards God just to within a generation turn away again after He had fulfilled all His promises? God never left a promise unfulfilled to the people of Israel and yet they turned from Him in the drought of a hat. The New Testament tells us of the fulfillment of this need. We need a Savior. And the New Testament tells us about Him. It tells us of the fulfillment of this need. It also tells us about God's faithfulness. It is ever enduring. It is never wavering. And it is always sufficient. And so for this, we give thanks. During this holiday season, a time of thanksgiving and a coming celebration of Christ's birth, we give thanks that our God created us in His image fallen as we have become. We give thanks that our God gave us free will, that we might choose Him, and in this gift that He would give us eternal life, although we do not in any way deserve it. We give thanks to God for all that we have through His Son, Christ Jesus. Let us pray.